Talk Live. It is your show, and you can take control of the airwaves. Toll-free number for you, 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. And it is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on this site, we give them away. Unlike those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you for their websites. We do it for free, freetalklive.com. We're starting things out tonight uh, with a guest. And it's very unusual that we'll have authors on Free Talk Live. Um, Very unusual. I think maybe in the history of this show, for the four-plus year history of this show, we've had one, I think, one author on the air with us. Not we common we tried us. to have a second one, but she didn't want to come on, so this is like the second author of all time. And Mark, uh, you set this whole thing up, so why don't you uh, introduce who we're talking about here? Well, I, we're, talking to, we're going to be talking to Terry Goodkind, and I have uh, read the Sword of Truth series, um, at least the vast majority of it. Uh, it, isn't, it isn't complete yet. And I'm a fan. Um, to me, these seem like uh, books written by a libertarian or somebody who understands uh, the free market very well understands uh you know uh, man's uh, ability to direct his own life and uh you know the without the need of government and I just wanted to talk to Terry Goodkind and and ask him a few questions. He's a best-selling author, is that oh, correct? Oh, and some. Yeah, right. he's a big deal in the uh, fantasy uh, world. Then we're going straight to him. Uh, he is Terry Goodkind. He's on the line right now with Free Talk Live. Good evening, Terry. Thank you, guys. I'm honored to be here. I, I really appreciate the opportunity, and it's fun to talk to you. <laughs> Great. Well, we're glad to, uh, glad to have you here. Um, just for somebody yeah, like yeah. me, Terry, um, since I'm completely in the dark almost, about, I've heard a little bit about your books. Can you give me the you know, like a briefing as to what I need to know about uh, what your book series is, is essentially? Well, it, first of all, let me clarify something. The books really aren't fantasy. They contain fantasy elements, but... Fantasy is one of the many background elements that contain their, their um, romance, adventure, political intrigue, politics, philosophy, uh, but they happen to be set in kind of a medieval uh, fantasy-type world. And the fantasy elements are subordinate to the, um, to the story and to the characters. And the last book, Phantom, was number one on the New York uh, Times bestseller list. And I, most of my readers, I'd say, probably... Approaching 90% of my readers don't read fantasy at all. So it's a, a, a series that crosses a broad spectrum of readers. It's readers who um, are seeking uh, novels about heroes that are worth looking up to, about individuals that have integrity and character, instead of reading about some of the despicable kind of people that are the subject of books, TV, and movies nowadays. Got it. You know, I sort of, when you said that, I sort of, the guy who popped to mind was James Bond. Um, Although a a tough guy and, uh, you know, certainly something that some men uh, wish they could be, your uh, main character, Richard, nothing like James Bond. I mean, not at all. Richard is, um, in a way, every man, and he embodies uh, the qualities that that, uh, we all aspire to have honesty, integrity, and those kind of things. And he faces challenges he never expected he would have to face in life. He's confronted with um, um, people trying to kill him and um, having rules thrust upon him and, and a lot of different situations that he never would have um, um, thought out himself. And it's how does a person like you or I face those kind of situations? How do we find the courage to um, find the solutions to problems we never expected we'd have to face? And in the search for those solutions. You know, he finds out great truths about himself and about life and about the, um, 
the way you interact with people, and uh, that's what the stories are about. You know, um, Richard's got a uh, love interest, um, a wife, um, later on in the uh, series, uh, Kahlan. Um, kinda, I, I guess I just shortened it to Kalen because it's easier for me to think of when I read it. But um, uh, well, Kalen is the way it's supposed to be pronounced. Oh, is it? Sorry. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I, let me say that I don't care how readers pronounce names. If they have a different way of pronouncing it, it doesn't freak me out like some authors, so that's okay. That oh, freaks I, some authors out? Yeah, who, who would have known? <laughs> there, there are some authors, when you pronounce their characters in a way that they didn't intend, they get really quite uh, snippy about it. They take offense. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's Anna, it's not Anna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I'm just happy readers are reading the books. And, it's, you know, the story, when a reader gets the story, it becomes theirs. It's in, it exists in their mind, and I want them to enjoy it. And if they prefer to pronounce some character's name in a certain way, I'm fine with that. Well, I'm, I'm glad to know that I've been pronouncing it correctly. But um, you know what I wanted to what I wanted to, to give an overview. You said it was a romance novel to some extent, and um, it is. Uh, Richard and Kaylin are, you know, they're deeply in love. And although Richard gets tempted now and then by uh, some, one seductress or another, um, he's what I would aspire to be in a man. He he is uh, faithful to his wife, and and I've got to say, Terry, um, this well, it's true. It's true. You're though. bearing your heart here. Mark. I am. I it's it's held it's it's held my marriage together a little bit. This uh, this this book series. Um, just to let you know, <laughs> Terry, it's Wayne here. I have a question for you. How much uh, did your your Catholic catechism background? How much does that affect the books that you write now? Um, it uh, taught me the meaning of pain. <laughs> I was just thinking of sore knuckles myself. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd say that it taught me to reason on my own. Um, I remember Sister Superior. In, in some way, there's, there's these sisters in the books, the Sisters of the Light, Sister of the Dark, um, who very much are like a lot of the nuns I knew. And um, a lot of the nuns I knew... Uh, believed that they were serving God, and I was convinced they were serving the devil. Um, <laughs> <and> then, <laughs> so, in some ways, the Sisters of the Light and Sisters of the Dark are, are drawn from my experience with interacting with nuns. But, uh, you know, I remember the day that I was sitting in catechism class, and Sister Superior came to lecture the class, and she said, um, the Holy Trinity is three gods in one, and you cannot think about this. You cannot contemplate it or try to reason it out because it's not open to human reason. And if you try to if you try to reason it out, you're sinful and you're. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Don't question. How, how much how, how much of your inspiration uh, comes from dreams? None. I I don't remember my dreams. Um, hmm. huh. I I don't assign any significance at all to dreams. You know, occasionally I might remember a little fragment of it, but my inspiration comes from values I hold in life. For example, if I want to tell a story about individual liberty, uh, take Faith of the Fallen, for example, the sixth book in the series, it's a story about individual liberty versus the collective. And if you want to tell a story about the importance of freedom, you cannot express a concept like freedom by saying freedom is good, slavery is bad. It, it's just too broad. The way you uh, express concepts is through concrete. And the story, uh, the plot, is the concrete that you use to express that abstract concept. And by the time you get through this story, readers understand the importance of freedom. They understand the corrosive effect of, a, of the collective on mankind's existence. 
and they understand all of those abstract concepts that you want to get across. So I draw my inspiration from values in life that are important to me, values like um, individual liberty or in the case that you mentioned of Richard and Kayla and their uh, love for one another, the values of love, um, one of the greatest uh, things humans can experience. So those values in life are my inspiration, and I use characters to uh, illustrate those um, concepts. Now, in, in Faith of the Fallen, you don't mention uh, the word communism, um, although that's, it seems to me that clearly what you're, you're uh, comparing individual liberty to. And, uh, um, you know. Well, I, I don't agree with that. Um, I'm comparing individual liberty to the um, concept of collectivism. Collectivism has, has existed throughout mankind's history. You, you look at um, tribes that you know, exist in the, in the wilds, and, and they exist in a collective kind of thing, you know, this community property, and you, you, uh, your work goes towards the collective of the tribe. Or in a medieval time when the church, uh, you're, you're part of the collective of this, of this church in this town. You know, you're, you're a serf working for uh, the Lord or for, or for the church. Um, and throughout history, um, nations have been founded on those collectivist beliefs, and communists, uh, beliefs are simply one extension of that class. So you're going after the, the bigger picture. Terry, if you could hang on, we're going to bring you back for some more. I, I presume you have a little bit of time. Yeah, I'm here as long as you want. Great. Hang Great. on, Terry. And if you've got a question for author Terry Goodkind, he's on the line with us right now. The toll-free number for you is 800-259-9231. That is the packet 8.net toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line for you. Though right now, if you want to talk about anything besides uh, a question for Terry Goodkind, you will have to wait patiently because we do have, uh, I would, is, I guess it's fair to say, libertarian-esque author, I Terry Goodkind? I haven't asked him whether you know that, that term applies to him, so well, ask, ask him. him right now. Terry Goodkind, uh, back on the line here on Free Talk Live with Ian Wayne and Mark. Is it fair to describe you as a libertarian? I'm an objectivist. I believe in laws of reason. And, uh, uh, I, I guess you'd have to ask me question about you know beliefs but uh at the heart of it i'm an objectivist objectivists are darn close to uh libertarians and in, in a belief philosophy and and um i don't even i don't even know what the differences are i know that it has uh you know there's there's some small ones but um it all depends on who you're talking to you know there's there's some people who claim to be objectivists don't have a clue what objectivism really is all about and so it's, it's it depends on who you're talking to but i believe in the laws of reason and mankind's ability to uh, create his own happiness and to uh, have achievement in his life that he can be proud of and to live his own life. Well, you know, um, the reason that I enjoy your books so much is that your philosophy is so similar to mine. And, um, you know, like when I read, say, Tom Clancy or John Grisham, um, I I have a difficult – I think about, oh, those darn bureaucrats and um, this court of law, what kind of jurisdiction do they have? And, you know, those kind of things always get in my way of enjoying the story, whereas – you know, with your books, uh, you're talking about all the, th- the things that I believe in. So, well, I, in my books, one of the pleasures of writing for me is I get to torture and kill bureaucrats. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a, a real pleasure. <laughs> now, um, about your 
about your writing. Um, what made you decide author? I mean, authors, it's got to be tough work. You have to self-motivate. Um, you, the, the hours can be long or short, I guess, uh, depending on how you do it. But um, there's a lot of people that fail in the author business. What what made you do it? How'd you do it? Well, I, I write 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm, I'm slow but persistent, so wow. I have to make up for my slowness by working hard. But ever, I, didn't, I didn't start writing until I was 45, but I... Ever since I was a little kid, I just thought that being a novelist was just the most noble thing I could do. Uh, for other people, they may have wanted to be a rocket scientist or um, a mom or a doctor or whatever, but to me, being a novelist just spoke to me. And when I sat down and started writing Wizard's First Rule, the first book, it was uh, like a magical moment. It, it was my bliss, and I knew right then and there that that's what... I was meant to do is right. I just absolutely love it to this day. As hard a work as it is, it's still just the most fun I can imagine. And, and part of the reason it's fun is because it is so hard. I don't think that um, uh, easy accomplishment is necessarily all that rewarding. I, I, I totally agree with that. Quick question on uh, the, the history of your uh, your book series and your uh, your history as an author. It looks like, uh, according to Wikipedia at least, your first book came out back in 1994. And I, I see the list of uh, of your books here. Are they all in a series? They all the the same story, continuing novel through novel. Yes, but I, I do the series different than most people do. It most people do a series of cliffhangers, and I never felt that was fair to readers. I my goal has always been to have readers want to read the next book because they had such a good time reading this one that they want to read another one, rather than tricking them into having to read it to find out what happened. So each one of these books, although there's a background story arc that continues through the series, each one is an independent novel. And if you read the first book and decide that's all you have time to read, uh, you have an ending that is um, completely satisfying. Hmm. The conflict is resolved, and, and all the books are that way. With the exception of the ending of the series, is a trilogy because the ending is a big climax and it's too much for one book. And the first two books in that series are Chain Fire and, and Phantom in that, in that I mean, ending trilogy. And I'm working on the last book right now. Now, chances are, if you get to the last books in the series, you're you're going to stick around for the whole haul. Anyway, um, yeah. now, Wizard's First, first Rule is the uh, first book in the Sword of Truth series. Uh, could you obviously there's people out there listening right now um, that have not lis- uh, that have not read the series. Um, I would encourage them to do so. I enjoyed it greatly. Can you describe Wizard's first rule? Just to give them a little teaser. Ah, so it took me 350,000 words to, to tell the story, and I'm going to reduce it to 25. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you jerk, Mark. It's my job. I'm a radio talk show host. I make I ask hard questions. <laughs> Well, Wizard's First Rule is the story of a um, a woods guide who is living a happy life um, being a woods guide, uh, and a um, woman crosses his path is being chased by four assassins, and um, she's a very mysterious person. Uh, he instantly is attracted to her because of her intelligence, and um, he likes her very much and helps her out, and through the course of events discovers that not only is she being hunted, but he's being hunted too, and he has to find out who's trying to kill him, and she has secrets she's not willing to tell him. So he doesn't know really who she is, and um, there's, a, there's a gulf between them. Um, there's a reason why uh, he's 
drawn to her and there are things that bridge their lives, but there are monumental forces within their own world that are keeping them apart that prevent them from being together. So he has to not only find a way to save his own skin and hers, uh, help her save hers, but to find out why he can't get closer to this woman he's so attracted to and why she's attracted to him, but she won't allow herself to get closer to him. Sounds uh, sounds intriguing and uh, and interesting. Now, how uh, quickly within the first novel are the themes, uh, liberty-oriented themes, introduced? Uh, it, it permeates everything I write about. You know, you, you can't... Um, you can't separate out those themes from anything. Um, it, they're, they're infused into every topic, into every thing that happens. You know, from, from the beginning, the first thing that happens, this is a good example, and I hope you have time for to tell the short story. Sure. We might. First, we may have to interrupt first, you, but go ahead. Um, the first thing that happens is there's these four assassins chasing this woman. He, he catches up with her, and he says, there's these men chasing you. The first words out of her mouth are, do you choose to help me? Not, oh, please help me, help me. Hmm. It's, do you choose to help me? It's him making his personal choice, her realizing that it's his life, and if he's going to help her, it has to be by his choice. So from the first words out of her mouth, you know that importance of individual liberty is important, and it shows it's important to her. Wow, that's an excellent example. Yeah, Terry, at what point in your life did the light bulb really go on for you, uh, the difference between in individual liberty and collectivism um you, you know it's just ever since my earliest memories i've always uh understood the difference and i've always um observed the difference in in, in the way countries are ruled lives are, are lived and the beliefs people have and i've never believed that you should have to live your life as a slave to another um and uh there are valid reasons why that's um corrupt concept, and, and I've throughout my life studied as to why I think that uh, individual liberty is, is a valid, life-affirming belief. So I've always been drawn to that kind of thing. Now, um, I, you know, I wanted to ask a few political questions, and I know there's... Um, the you one... can hold those uh. for just a moment, if you would, please. And Terry, we're going to put you on hold for a moment as well. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. Mark's political questions on the way. Your questions as well for Terry Goodkind. He is a objectivist author, and uh, themes of liberty and freedom run throughout his series of books, and that's why we're exploring uh, these ideas with him tonight. 800-259-9231, the toll-free number. You take control of the airwaves. Bring up whatever's on your mind as well. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. Toll-free number for you, 800-259-9231. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com is the place to go. All the features there are totally free, and that does include live streams. There's a broadband version of the show waiting you, as well as a dial-up version, uh, both completely free at freetalklive.com. And what's your liberty issue? Is it taxes? Register now for the February 2007 New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Speakers to include Christopher Gronsky, the New Hampshire coordinator for the We the People Congress, and a taxpayer activism panel, freestateproject.org slash libertyforum for more information. And to get registered, that's freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. 
As we go back to our guest for this hour, we've transferred him over to a different phone line. Hopefully it'll sound a little bit better at this point. Uh, let's go back to uh, Terry Goodkind, author and uh, objectivist and just generally all-around pro-liberty kind of guy. Uh, Terry, you're back on Free Talk Live with Ian Wayne and Mark. Thanks. Glad to be back. Good to have you back. In fact, I know Mark had uh, some political-related questions. I'm going to put Mark on hold, and we're going to go to the calls. We actually have uh, Nico on the line in Illinois. You're on with Terry Goodkind. Hello, Nico. Hello. Um, I actually just wanted to say that um, a lot of um, views that you actually had on you know, Free Talk Live, um, because I've read the Sword of Truth series, I actually thought of you know the order versus the people who don't follow the order. And it's um, actually quite interesting how, you know, everybody, you know, who follows this group of people, you know, think it's all good and stuff. But then you look at the overall picture, it's like, you know, why are these people doing this? It's not working. Exactly. Exactly. That's um, uh, one of the things I like to illustrate. One of the concepts is that um, people thoughtlessly follow uh, things that are harmful to themselves and everyone else in the world. I mean... Just look at uh, the world of Islam, you know, how it's um, devoted to hatred and uh, death of people who mean them no harm. And uh, that's much the way the imperial order is. Nico, any other thoughts? Um, yeah, basically, I, I liked um, a lot of the things that you put in your book. It's a completely different world. Thank but you. There's, there's, so many, there's so many different things in the book that relate to reality and i just i just want to say i really enjoyed your books and i oh. really can't wait till the, the last one comes out thank you nico i appreciate that nico quick question how old are you 15. Thanks for the call. We appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231 if you've got a question for author Terry Goodkind. Speaking of uh, demographics, Terry, what sort of age range do you find is uh, is attracted to your books? Uh, my typical reader is a um, professional in their uh, mid-30s hmm. to late-30s. Are you, Mark? That'd be me. <laughs> but, but you know, I have to say, I have fans that are, you know, people come to book signings and, and there'll be a, you know, a 13-year-old kid and their 80-year-old grandmother or great-grandmother. I've had five generations of families. They all love the books because it all appeals to common human values. It's not about things that only appeal to certain uh, demographics of people. It, the things I'm writing about are matters that concern us all. Excellent. i got to say, from, from what everyone's told me, it sounds like an, a fantastic book series. I look forward to get, uh, giving it a try one of these days when I finally get a chance to uh, read some fiction again, but uh, well, definitely it's on my high list. Uh, high list. Thanks. So, um, Mark, jump into your political question. Well, uh, Terry sort of alluded to it a little bit. What do you think about the war in Iraq? Um, I, I think the war in Iraq is... Uh, terrible because it's an altruistic experiment in self-sacrifice, which is pointless. Um, if you're not allowed to win the war, if you're not allowed to destroy the enemy, um, all you're allowed to do is go over there and sacrifice the lives of brave, uh, wonderful young people to no end. It's ridiculous. Uh, if you're going to fight the war, win the damn thing. Doesn't it make you sick when politicians hold up sacrifice uh, on, on the altar as though it's this thing to be vaunted and, uh, and respected and worshipped? Absolutely. And, and in your earlier question about, you know, communism and, and uh, collectivist governments and, that were in, I talked about a faith of the fallen, the basis of those beliefs, those are all founded in altruism and the belief that you owe your life to others. Um, uh, like the old joke says, um, uh, you were, you were um, 
um, born to help others. And then the kid says, well, why were the others born? <laughs> 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 you know, it's, uh, it's um, the source of all the evil that's happened throughout mankind's history because altruism can't exist without force. Uh, the tax system is an altruistic system, and it could not exist without the threat of um, imprisonment and violence if you don't go along with it. Um, it's uh, supposedly this wonderful thing that we're helping everyone. Well, then why do they have to put a gun to your head and force you to contribute to this wonderful thing? It's because it doesn't make sense at its root. It's uh, anti-life, and it's against um, um, all reason. So uh, all, I agree. Altruism, and, and that's why I'm you know, against the... Uh, way we're fighting the war in Iraq. I, I believe, I believe we absolutely have absolutely have to fight the forces of darkness that are descending upon the world. We're we're at the brink of a new dark age, but you can't fight those forces by self-sacrifice. You have to fight them by confronting them. Um, you know, I, I have a, if you just have a second, I'll give you a quote by Winston Churchill. Just happened to run across. It says, "Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be." For without victory, there is no survival. And that's the issue, you know, in a nutshell that we face. Without victory, there is no survival. And if we're not allowed to be victorious, all we're allowed to do is uh, die. Uh, that's what's going to happen to us all. Um, we're at the brink of a new dark age. And It seems historical... to me that if, if we're in a, at the brink of a new dark age, then that new dark age is being brought about by the governments of the world more so than anything else. How do you feel about that? Absolutely. Um, the governments are acting irrationally. They're, they're um, counter to the survival of civilization and the noblest uh, ideals of mankind. They're would you agree getting... that uh, Would you agree that government, by its nature, is counter to the survival of civilization? No. I, well, if government is rational and and um, uh, founded in reason, I think government has a has a role to play. For example, the United States is the first government in the history of mankind that has ever codified the principle that an individual has the right to exist for his own happiness. Um, no government in history has ever codified that example, that you have a right to your own life, that you have a right to speak freely. Those things um, in the Constitution are noble ideals of mankind. And there's a role of government to play, I believe, and the protection of the rights of the individual. For example, if there's no government and your neighbor decides they're going to take your property or your children or your um, or your life, um, somebody has to be on the side of the rights of the individual to exist. And, and that's the proper role of government, uh, mediate um, contracts and things like that. But it, it's not the role of government to redistribute uh, your efforts and your, and your hard work to take away from you, to steal from you, to... Um, rob your efforts to give to somebody else because they don't feel like working. Now, um, that's sort of uh, you're sort of talking about uh, liberty versus a collectivism. There, what about liberty versus fascism? What do you think about the uh, Patriot Act, uh, the NSA spying uh, scandal they've had, that kind of thing? Well, that's a complex topic, but um, if it was, um, I think that. Uh, uh, you have to be able to go after the bad guys. You simply have to be able to do that. And uh, you cannot have the concept of liberty and freedom as free-floating abstracts in, in a vacuum and allow your country to be destroyed um, for, those, for, for principles that, that are not grounded in reality. The reality is there are people trying to kill us. 
And if they're not stopped, they're going to kill us. If when the Iranians get a nuclear bomb, and, and not if, but when, they have avowed to use it. And when they use it, when, a, when they import a uh, container into the New York Harbor and they set a, a nuclear bomb off in New York City or in L.A. or both at the same time, people don't understand that this is the end of civilization. It's going to be a new dark age, an Islamic dark age. Civilization is balanced on a razor's edge. And that's one of the things I, um, the themes I'm addressing in the novels I'm writing about is how tenuous our grasp on civilization is. It's so easy for the last bastion of freedom to be destroyed by this kind of thing and for us never again to have freedom for thousands of years until it's born again. Terry, I see where you're coming from. If you can hang on, we're going to bring you back for a little bit more. 800-259-9231. You've got a question for Terry Goodkind. He's on the line with us right now. I don't know. I feel like freedom's threatened more by uh, the United States government than any Islamic organization. More on the way. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231, the packet 8.net toll-free line for you. It is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away, though we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by buying some stuff at store.freetalklive.com. we got Free Talk Live hats and T-shirts and various other interesting merchandise. And it's high-quality stuff, not crap. So check it out, Store dot freetalklive.com and do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections well sickle cai does collections and they do it in a whole new way sickle's employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect they know that not only do you want to collect your money but you'd like to keep your clients too sickle cai check out their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359 that's 800-544-6359 do business with businesses that support free talk live as we bring back our guest for this hour he is terry goodkind uh nationally best-selling author uh, of a series that is not fantasy. It's set in a fantasy world, but as Terry has uh, clarified for us, it has all sorts of different themes. And, uh, Terry, you're back on Free Talk Live with Ian Wayne and Mark. Thanks, guys. Now, it's unusual that we uh, bring an author on the show. You're the second one in the history of, of Free Talk Live. So Mark was really, I guess, really struck by uh, the quality of your novels. Uh, how many have you been through at this point, Mark? I I don't know. Um, I've <laughs> I got like seven or eight of them. Um, they're, they're a lot, and they're huge. Uh, as far as getting a book, um, generally you pay this kind of price, uh, seven ninety five or whatever it is, for mm-hmm. half the book that you get from Terry Goodkind. So they're a real value, and I haven't had a problem with going to the uh, like borders and buying them right there. Generally, I'm I'm cheap, and I like to get my books secondhand or borrow them from friends and that kind of thing. But I, um, every time I'm done with one, I go buy the new one. So I, I've been through uh, – I am so cheap that I have not yet bought the hardcover, which I believe is called Phantom. Is Phantom's the, the newest. Uh, the newest one is Phantom, yes. It'll be coming out paperback this uh, coming summer. Uh, you know, I couldn't find anybody with that answer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, have to, I have to tell you, I have, thank you for your support. And I, and I, and I have to take this opportunity to say that um, – I have the coolest fans of any author, I think. I have the most incredible individuals who are drawn to the, to the work, and I, and I just – I'm so humbled by the quality of people who um, say nice things about how much they like the books. And, and I just uh, have 
the books have drawn such quality people to them. I, I'm just really swept away by that. You know, I feel the same way about our listenership here on Free Talk Live. In fact, uh, one of our listeners is on the line right now, and he wants to talk uh, with you. It's Alex in Florida. You're on Free Talk Live with Terry Goodkind. Hello, Alex. Hi. Hey, Alex. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. Good. How are you, Mr. Goodkind? Hi, Alex. What's up? Uh, yeah, I just uh, I just want to give my opinion as far as uh, uh, Ayn Rand goes and objectivism goes, because I know that it really affected you in sure. your life. Um, Ayn Rand really affected me in my life. Uh, I started reading her, uh, I don't know, back in the sophomore year of high school. And um, uh, really, it started with her novel, uh, Capitalism, The Unknown Ideal. And uh, really yeah. reading through that, she just debunked tons of government fallacies that I had accepted. Like, you know, monopolies exist and, and uh, you know, the government's there to protect, the, you know, the individual against the market. And uh, she really blew a lot of things away. And I think... Um, Definitely here we have, you know, a case with uh, Mr. Uh, Goodkind where Ayn Rand really has uh, affected, I think, uh, you know, the mainstream in a, in a very good fashion and uh, towards a more libertarian world, I think. Thank you, Alex. I, you know, I, um, uh, it's amazing how the light of reason can debunk so many things, isn't it? And yes. I, I, I like applying those principles to stories because stories, I think, are the the way throughout history that we've conveyed um, values and principles to other people, and um, it's it's uh, I, I, Aristotle said, I'm paraphrasing now that history tells us how um, life is. Fiction tells us how life can and ought to be, and I think that that's what a um, a good uh, novel is. Is it tells us how life can and ought to be. Very good, Alex. Sure. Any and, other thoughts? Yeah, and um, I just want to say. I'm, you know, uh, uh, Ian Mark know already, but I'm a big fan of the Austrian school, and there are a lot of reasons, a little, a lot of different uh, ideas as to how the Austrian school picked up after the 70s, and uh, really one of the most attributing factors is uh, that Ayn Rand put in uh, her book Capitalism: The Unknown Ideal. She put in a series of, of footnotes referencing von Mises. She's a huge fan of von Mises. She had differences, but she really liked von Mises' work. Mm-hmm. So, um, at the very least, uh, being uh, myself being a member of the Austrian School, or, you know, of the same thought, uh, we, I believe, are indebted to uh, Ayn Rand and objectivism in general for uh, having really slumped us out of it. Very good, Alex. Thank you for the call. Really appreciate Thanks, hearing Alex. from you. You know, Terry, when you're uh, when you're out there doing what you love, and in your case, it's writing books. In our case, it's doing talk radio. And you're reaching out to uh, to new people at all times. You never know who it is you're going to touch. You never know. And in, in the way that Ayn Rand uh, touched you, obviously, and led you um, to becoming who you are today, it's 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 interesting thinking about the many thousands or I don't know hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. I don't know what your sales are like that read your book. Um, how many of those people you might have uh, radically uh, altered, radically shifted, and that's really just an amazing thought that you'll never really know how far you've reached into people's lives and how how many lives you've changed. But you can feel good, I think, in knowing that you probably have changed a number of people's lives. Oh, oh thank you. There's, I have millions of readers worldwide, and I have to say that in countries that are uh, very socialistic or, or communistic, um, I have uh, huge sales in those countries because I think the individuals who live there when you're living the horror of that kind of regime, you understand much better the value of individual liberty. I think Americans have forgotten. Um, they've got lazy, and they forgot how much uh, freedom means to them. 
and they don't totally. understand yeah. how important it is. And in countries where it, it's um, very rare to have freedom, those kind of people, the books touch them very deeply. And um, I, I've heard from a number of people who have escaped from communist regimes, for example, who have said that uh, they've never read an author before who understood the horror of living in those kind of places. And it, it, it's, like, as you said, it's touched them deeply. You know, it's really in- Terry, I was going to say what's really interesting is one of those people was actually Pope John Paul II. And there was a really interesting quote that I, I picked up from him a few months ago, and he said, uh, where self-interest is suppressed, it is replaced by a burden, burdensome system of bureaucratic control that dries up the wellsprings of initiative and creativity. And I found that really interesting, coming from a pope. I was just going to say, coming from the pope, really? Yes, from the pope. <laughs> cool. cool. And he was one of those people. He lived in Poland uh, during communism. Yes, yes. Now, Terry, um, I... I, I, I felt very lucky to get you on the air. Um, basically, the gal from uh, Tor Books said that uh, you have this, you know, uh, breakback uh, schedule, and and you you don't like to be disturbed during uh, yeah, your but writing. I, but I love but I love talking to great people who who believe in the lo- in the light of reason and freedom and liberty. So I'm I'm honored to be here. Well, uh, knowing that you work twelve, fourteen hours a day writing your book, seven days a week, you said. Um, you're you're working on the newest book now, and and is Correct. it yet titled? Um, uh, yes, but only okay. three people alive know the title. <laughs> well, for God's sake, I don't want to find out, and then yeah, you have to kill me. Um, uh, it'll be announced probably within about a month. Okay, great. Um, so you're working on the current book, and it'll be uh, you'll probably be done with it, and then I assume that it goes through some kind of I don't know magic book process that the uh, editors uh, you know take care of, and you go back and forth with them. What are you going to do after that? You can't just stop working. No, um, I have a number of books I'd like to write. I'm constantly thinking up stories. And just because the background arc of this story, this this battle between this collectivist uh, part of the world and this freedom part of the world and this gigantic struggle, um, that has to come to a resolution. But that doesn't mean it's the end of human conflict or the end of this world. And so while the background story, the, the story of this series will end, there are plenty more stories of these characters I'd like to tell and I hope to be able to. Neat. Now, let's go back to real life and the conflict between freedom and uh, the collectivists. And I'm just curious, have you heard of the Free State Project? And if so, how do you feel about it? No, I haven't heard of it. Uh, tell me. Well, I noticed uh, I was looking at your bio on Wikipedia and you've got Could a house. Because we, we fled, you know, the um, People's Republic of Maine. Right. You, you used to live in ago. Maine. And yeah. uh, Mark and I have just recently moved to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project. And essentially what it is, it's a movement of uh, 20,000 liberty-loving, liberty-minded individuals all uh, moving from uh, not just around the country, but from around the world all to the same place, all to New Hampshire, in order to secure more liberty in our lifetime. And I just wanted to run that concept by you. I, I think that's a really cool idea. It's a you know a, a, a way to empower those people who believe in liberty and concentrate them into one region. Yes. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest problems that uh, libertarians and perhaps objectivists too have had um, over time is that few people um, share our beliefs because few people have thought about it. Um, they just assume government good, government take care of me, you know that kind of thing. And um, you know we haven't seen it happen anywhere. So the idea was to get enough people into one state that could make a difference. Best of luck with that project, Terry. Uh, we hope to um, perhaps talk to you again in the future. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with us here on Free Talk Live tonight. Got Anytime. a new fan here. It. By the way, people can go to your website at terrygoodkind.com to get more information on you and your books. And have a wonderful evening, sir. We really appreciate hearing from you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being on. Thanks, Thanks Terry. Terry. More on the way. Hour number two is coming up. You take control of the airwaves. It is Free Talk Live. <laughs> 
Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up anything. The toll-free number for you is 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line, and it is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away, so enjoy. That's freetalklive.com. Well, during the news break, Wayne, you'd asked me if uh, there was any fresh news about the Ed Brown situation, and... I went uh, to the blog to take a, a, a quick look, and it looks like there's there's still just a warrant out for his arrest. Y- uh, nothing has yet to happen. Uh, no, nothing has occurred, which is good news because uh, mm-hmm. we don't want anything to occur. We don't want uh, Ed to get shot and killed. And again, once in case you're just tuning in, he's the in which case he won't be blogging about that. Ed's not actually doing the blogging. It's uh, people that care that have access. Ed's got like a dial-up connection. It's not easy to do anything with dial-up. Gotcha. No. Uh, but anyway. So Ed is the man who is holed up in his Plainfield, New Hampshire home, just uh, essentially waiting for whatever's next with the government who's try- that is trying to capture him after he was found guilty in a rigged courtroom, a kangaroo court, as Ed himself put it, for so-called tax evasion charges. Uh, I went there over the weekend. I don't know if, Wayne, you're planning on going out to, uh, to visit the Brown household at all. Yes, I was by there the other day, and I couldn't find it. I didn't have the address with me. Yeah, you've you got to go during the day. Because we were at, we actually went during the day, and then we left to go get some dinner, because uh, there's nothing around. It's Plainfield. There's not exactly a lot of... It's plain. Um, anyway, we went to go get some dinner, came back. By the time we came back, it was dark, and we drove past the entrance to uh, the area where he lived probably four times before we found it again. So you definitely want to go during the daytime. But anyway, so nothing fresh really to announce about Ed. However, there is some news in regards to, well, taxes. According to Lindsay Springer and Quest for Fair Trial in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, Blogspot, on December 4, 2006, when the Ninth Circuit Court reversed the United States Tax Court on whether litigation costs involving the IRS making a claim that was three times what they were actually owed was the liability of, a McKee, of the McKee family to suffer, an added penalty, so to speak. Uh, then they give you a link to this court case, but here is the su- uh, summary of what happened. The tax court held that the IRS was not liable for their calculation blunders on the basis that the tax court, in its discretion, claimed the regulations written by the IRS and codes were so complex that the IRS could not be held liable for its failure to understand them. Oh, man. The Ninth Circuit Court reversed the decision. The Commissioner of the Internal Revenue asked the Ninth Circuit not to make the decision public. And now you have it. No matter what they do with it, you have a copy of it, and the commissioner is bound by the decision. Imagine the taxpayer claiming mistake because the statutes and regulations were so complex and the IRS rejecting that and seeking penalties for failure to measure up, which is something that happens all the time. Individuals filing taxes will screw up, and then the IRS will say, well, you should have known. Ignorance of the law is no excuse, blah, 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 and we're going to slap you with penalties or whatever. Now, here they are saying that the IRS essentially said, we can't figure out our own regulations, <laughs> and uh, so they, they reversed a court decision. That, that I, I might add, Ian, that a lot of times when these court cases come out against the IRS, a lot of them are sealed, so they can't be made public. Well, I guess they didn't get around to sealing this one. Uh, the decision in the tax court... Uh, abuse of discretion show that the tax court is not a court at all, but a place where the complexity can be filtered to the benefit of the IRS. 
I don't mind the government having the benefit when the law supports their claim, but when the law is basically written by them and they claim it's so complicated they can't be held liable for their mistakes and they deal with it every day for their job, what does that say about the rest of America? It's so complicated. The IRS can't comply with their own regulations or even understand what they say. Add to this the Paperwork Act uh, Reduction Act of 1995 duties upon them, and it's like having this in HD. I don't know what that means. In short conclusion... In short conclusion, I would say the judges will eventually show up at the dance, but they will probably not be invited, nor will enter as everyone else. It's always good to have someone monitoring the cameras from the side and rear entrances, just to know, so we know where they are and from and when they've left the building. It's a little strange. I'm not sure exactly what that last paragraph means <laughs> or is in relation to, but nonetheless, uh, as it turns out here, the IRS can't figure out their own code. So how on earth can any American... Any average American be expected to do the, to do the same thing. Have you ever seen the code book? It's, Isn't there more than one? Oh well, the 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 code book, IRS okay. code book, is thick, voluminous uh, piece of. I wouldn't know where to go to even look for <laughs> literature. It. They don't distribute a, a copy of the code book to every American. They just give you a 1040 form and tell you to fill this thing out. Well, I've seen the code book before. A few years ago was the last time I saw it, and it was just an abomination. Even former Treasury secretaries have been quoted as saying that. That it's an abomination? Yes. But completely. yet it's foisted on everyone. That's right. And you must pay or else, or else they're going to come after you, the U.S. Marshals, like in the Ed Brown case. That's right. And as, and as you pointed out, uh, we were talking about during the break, the only reason Ed Brown's alive today is because of the, uh, because of the, interst- uh, the Internet. That's right, and all the blogging and all the activity online now. And I find it amazing and, and really hopeful that this man is in, in a one of the darkest hours of his life. Sure. And his wife is gone, and all these things are happening, and, and all these people are showing up from all over the country. In they their sure cars, are. in their broken-down buses, everything. <laughs> They're all coming to help him and, and, and support him, and it's just it's very, very heartening. It's a liberty convoy. A, a good bulk, <laughs> uh, a good portion of the people that are coming to uh, Ed Brown's defense are actually Free State Project members. Oh, yeah. So it really, the, not only is the Internet a critical portion to Ed Brown's safety, but also the existence of the Free State Project and those people who have become early movers of the Free State Project are also pretty critical as well. Yeah, he also has a pretty supportive community around him that he's built. He and his wife have built. They have a lot of friends who are very supportive, and, and they're also playing a, a big role from what I understand as well. Now, since we're talking about the feds and taxes, Wayne, you've got some news that uh, I don't know. I don't think it's really too surprising, but some people might be shocked. Yes, there's, a, there's an article from yesterday's freemarketnews.com uh, entitled Fed Employees Head ta- uh, Tax Scofflaw List. Uh, <laughs> while, while many of us are gathering up our receipts and other paperwork or paying someone else to do so in preparing our annual federal tax returns, many others are not. According to a posting at WTOP radio station's website, the federal government is still trying to recover nearly $3 billion from its own employees who failed to file income tax returns for 2005. The story says that more than 450,000 <laughs> active and retired federal employees do not voluntarily comply with federal income tax requirements for the 2005 tax year. Based on documents obtained by... Wayne, I'm going to have to put you on hold there, man. Your uh, microphone's freaking out. We've uh, been having microphone problems here, uh, and I apologize. I've got new ones on order, and they just have, uh, have yet to come in yet. We're going to try you back here and see if... Uh, it's fixed itself. I think it has. So yes, do continue. I better. do love things that fix themselves. Yes. Uh, and of course, this was based on the documents obtained by the station through the, the uh, Freedom of Information Act. 
The documents reportedly show no federal agency has been spared and that every single one of them has at least one current or retired employee who failed to comply with federal tax laws. Within the executive branch, the story says 71 employees owe over $600,000 in taxes for 2005, although 20 of them are now in IRS payment plans, cutting the total to little less than half a million dollars allegedly owed within that branch of government. The White House is reportedly has yet to respond to requests for comment. The highest number of scoff laws in any one agency reportedly comes from the United States Postal Service. <laughs> We're 56,652. Well, that's, that's, that's fair because the U.S. Postal Service does have the highest number of bureaucrats. So it makes sense that they would have the highest number of scoff laws. I guess. I guess proportionately. But there's 56,652 employees allegedly owe more than $320 million. Wow. About 22,000 of them already agreeing to payment plans. Now, this is not even including the IRS. I read a story about two years ago where even within the IRS, there are a mountain of people who don't file. Amazing. 1-800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. Makes you wonder, do you think those people in the IRS know something that uh, you don't? Right. Do they know it's that easy just to get away with it? I think they probably do, and I'm sure they've investigated on their own like a lot of the former IRS agents who have quit have uh they just happen to be on the right side of the guns yeah i wonder if they are a little more johnny on the spot going after regular citizens as opposed to uh going after the feds going after their own essentially whereas you think if they went after their own they could hold them up as examples and say hey look we're really serious about these taxes we're making our own employees pay them you know these uh, employees that refuse we're ensuring that they uh, they get it together and they pay us the, the taxes they supposedly owe they're and cheating actually, us all isn't it isn't it actually true that as far as the law is concerned federal employees are people that do owe taxes as opposed to the rest of america the way i understand it yes they're the they're one of the few who really are required to by law by law 1-800-259-9231 you take control of the airwaves coming up a survey a disturbing survey from the united kingdom about people there willing to give up freedom. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up whatever you want, toll free, 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. We've got updates. You get signed up. We'll clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. Get on the updates list for free, of course, at updates.freetalklive.com. That's updates.freetalklive.com. Who's the most pro-liberty individual in the United States Congress? Many people would say it's Ron Paul. And the rest of them don't know what the hell they're talking about. Register now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, February the 23rd through the 25th, 2007. Meet presidential candidate Congressman Ron Paul and other influential people who support your freedom. Register at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. That's freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. You know, I have to uh, get in touch with them for next year's Liberty Forum, see if they can get Terry Goodkind up there. Oh, that'd be fun. That'd be cool, huh? Yeah, it would. You know, it was great talking to him uh, in the last hour. If you missed it, uh, it'll be up uh, archived later tonight at freetalklive.com. 1-800-259-9231. Let's go to the United Kingdom, across the pond, as they say, to the London Guardian, where an overwhelming majority of people in Great Britain are willing to surrender civil liberties to help tackle the threat of terrorism. The nation's leading social research institute will disclose today. The survey found that seven in every ten people in the United Kingdom think compulsory identity uh, cards for all adults would be so-called, quote, a price worth paying. Jolly good. Unquote. To reduce the threat of terrorism. That's seven out of ten. 
Eight out of ten say the authorities should be able to tap the phones of people suspected of involvement in terrorism, open their mail, and impose electronic tagging or home curfews. You know, I don't think the numbers would be too drastically different here in the United States. I'm not sure. A little lower, but not a lot Maybe lower. a little lower. The findings come from the annual British Social Attitude Survey based on an interview, or interviews rather, with a sample of 3,000 adults, decent-sized sample, by the National Center for Social Research. It found a declining sense of Britishness, particularly among English people who are becoming more inclined to assert their Englishness. I don't know what that means. Well, Britishness uh, would refer to uh, being a member of the empire, the Great British, Great Britain Empire, mm-hmm. as opposed to Englishness, which is a you know member of the country of England. Um, like for instance, there's uh, Wales, Scotland, Ireland. I I can't name the rest of them. I think the Falkland hmm. Islands might still be involved, but um, you know it's it's they're they're retracting a little more. Got it. More, uh, more area specific. Yeah. It also found greater stress at work and a yearning among working parents to spend more time with their children, as well as overwhelming public support for euthanasia, allowing a doctor to end the life of a patient with an incurable or painful illness who asks to be helped to die. That's that's good news, I guess. Well, as long as the government doesn't get involved and decide who gets to die, who has to die, and who doesn't. The report said support for civil liberties in Britain peaked in 1990 before going into a steep decline. In 1990, 9% of adults thought the police should be allowed to question suspects for up to a week without letting them see a solicitor. In the oh, latest, wow. In the latest interviews, that number nearly tripled to 25%. It's really bad. One out of four Britons believe that the government should be able to detain you for up to an entire week before you can see a lawyer. In 1990, 40% disagreed with the uh, proposition that every adult should carry an identity card. That proportion has nearly halved to 22%. Mm. Much of this hardening of attitudes occurred in the mid-1990s before people's views were influenced by possible dangers of Islamic terrorism. The researchers decided the main reason was slackening of concern for civil liberties among voters who were influenced by the tough rhetoric of Tony Blair and his law and order spokesman. The proportion of labor voters opposing compulsory identity cards fell from 45% in 1990 to 15% in 2005 as the party changed its stance. So like the Republicans here in the United States, as soon as uh, the party makes a change, doesn't matter what your principles used to be, as long as the party says it's an okay idea, they'll go along with it. That's what's happening in Great Britain, and it's, what happened, it's what's happening here in the United States. <laughs> That's all that. It's all it is. Uh, Although the threat of terrorism did not cause the change in public mood, it was now being used by labor and conservative politicians to mobilize support for even tougher measures. The poll found people were less inclined to support civil liberties when asked questions mentioning terrorism. For instance, about 80% of Britons said electronic tagging of terrorist suspects was a price worth paying to combat terrorism. The same proportion backed home curfews. Trev, can you imagine? I mean, right now in the United States... We're talking about tagging sex offenders with GPS anklets. And I had suggested that this was just the beginning. Just wait. They're going to be tagging other criminals, uh, other convicted criminals, people who, I mean, they're not criminals anymore. They've served their time. They should be out. They should be free men again. But now they're going to be, uh, they're going to be tagging the sex offenders. I suggested it was a matter of time before they're going to be tagging murderers, uh, rapists, you know, uh, people that rob stores at gunpoint. But now... Great Britain's just jumping right over that whole step. Forget tagging the uh, convicted criminals. Let's tag the suspects. The same proportion backed home curfews, 80%. They backed travel restrictions. 
and detention without charge for more than a week. Less than a quarter of the population said torturing terror suspects would be a price worth paying, and only 35% would accept a ban on peaceful protests and demonstrations. Those people scare the heck out of me. That it's okay to torture the terrorists kind of thing. Oh, my God. I'm surprised that with the 80% in this uh, this particular survey that it was only as low as 20 uh, That number was as low as 25%. But the nation is almost equally divided on whether people charged with terrorism-related crime should be denied a jury trial, with 50% finding that it's acceptable and 45% saying unacceptable. So just like here in the United States. Now, I haven't seen any sort of questions like this being asked of U.S. citizens. I'd be very interested to see what their responses would be. It also goes to show you how powerful the media is and how powerful the, the notion that you can repeat a lie or, a, or, a, or a, something that's a falsehood over and over again and people believe it after a while and accept it. That's one of the, that's what, isn't that the first rule of propaganda? It sure is. Fifty <sighs> percent saying that uh, people charged with a terrorism-related crime should be denied a jury trial. That's right along with what's going on here in the United States, where, according to the Military Commissions Act, if you're labeled an unlawful enemy combatant, or suspected unlawful enemy combatant, or whatever it is they label you, you get thrown into a military uh, brig, you get a military tribunal, a star chamber, as they call it. In fact, Mark, I, I know you had a story a while back about star chambers. Might be an appropriate time to dig that out, if you can find it. Uh, 50% say that's okay. Got it right here. In Great Britain. Connor Gertie, a professor of human rights law at the London School of Economics and joint author of the report's civil rights chapter, said, quote, The very mention of something being a counterterrorism measure makes people more willing to contemplate the giving up of their freedoms. It's as though society is in the process of forgetting why past generations thought that these freedoms might be so very important. Man, this is sad. The report said the British have bemoaned loss of civil liberties for centuries. Even the barons who forced King John to sign the Magna Carta in 1215 said they wanted to regain freedoms that they'd enjoyed under Henry II. In fact, civil liberties grew steadily over time. Quote, the uh, questions posed, the question posed by the data generated by the survey is whether this progressive trend is at risk of being put into reverse. Politicians of all parties should be more disciplined in playing the counterterrorism card in public debate. It's a Trump, certainly, but overplayed it. But overplayed, it has the potential to completely distort the whole game. But fear of terrorism did not reduce people's support for human rights in the international arena. 84% agreed that, quote, when a country is at war, it must always, aw always abide by international human rights law. And 78% rejected the proposition that, quote, during a war, it's acceptable for the armed forces to torture people. So... They're relatively still against the whole torturing idea, but the giving up of liberties, no problem. 80% all for it. And it's really just the way you phrase it yep. for most of these people. ID cards, more restrictions, less freedom. Apparently, Britons are all for it, and I suspect that uh, Americans would be all for it as well if asked the right questions. More on the way. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. The packet 8.net toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. That number again is 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away, and that does include the wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com. It's like the listener-editable version of our website, so head over to wiki.freetalklive.com to see what it's all about. 
February's winner of the Lysander Spooner Award, Radicals for Capitalism, a freewheeling history of the modern American libertarian movement by Brian Doherty, outlines both the history of libertarianism and its true influence yet to come. Check out this and many other books and videos on liberty at LFB.com. That's laissez-faire books at LFB.com. You know, by a stroke of fortune, LFB.com is the only one that has radicals for capitalism right now. Um, you wow. can't, you cannot get the book faster than ordering it through them, unless you're the author. There you go. 1-800-259-9231, our toll-free number. We were talking about some disturbing statistics from uh, the United Kingdom. 80%, apparently, of 3,000 people polled over there were more than willing to give up their freedoms if it meant a little bit of protection from so-called terrorists. And, uh, Mark, you had a related story from a little while back that we actually never got to. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, um, any, anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's a, a story that has a little bit of... Uh, background on what a star chamber is right because that's what's going on here in the united states we've heard the terminology but we didn't know what it meant and the government doesn't use the terminology well we've gotten into some detail i think as to what it meant as i understand it and i'm sure i don't know it all but uh as i understand it a star chamber is a secret court where you are essentially rounded up by some mysterious black cloak government agency thrown in the back of a van, taken to some mysterious location, uh, some military brig, unnamed base somewhere, locked in a cell, uh, not given access to an attorney, and then put in front of this star chamber. Or maybe they won't even put you in front of the star chamber. And the star chamber, this secret tribunal, will essentially make a decision about your case Maybe without your knowledge. And, of course, it's certainly not going to be a public trial. So that's as I understand it, Mark. What's the story? Well, King Charles I used the court of star, uh, of star Chamber as a parliamentary substitute during the 11 years of personal rule, which he ruled without a parliament, hence called the personal rule. Uh, King Charles made extensive use of the court of Star Chamber to prosecute dissenters, including the Puritans who had fled to New England and, um, you know, founded the United States. So it's kind of interesting that the United States was brought about by the use of star chambers, and now the United States is using star chambers. Boy, oh boy, history sure does repeat itself. It's amazing stuff. In modern usage, legal or administrative bodies with strict, arbitrary rulings and secretive proceedings are sometimes called, metaphorically or poetically, star chambers. Isn't it interesting how human beings end up recreating the very thing they ran from? It is. It's, well, it's incredible. Well, yeah, it's all in the name of protecting yourself, and I'm sure that's what uh, King Charles felt like he was doing to his, uh, you know, his rule in England, and therefore protecting England itself, because he's the legitimate ruler of England. He must protect himself, and then thereby protecting England. I think Star Chamber is kind of a funny uh, term. It makes me think of a planetarium when I hear it. I don't <laughs> think of something that's uh, inherently bad, but this is bad, bad, bad. It is. Um, I, I've got some quotes here from uh, different. Uh, different government officials about the star chambers and that kind of thing but okay. they're they're positive they're negative ones towards the star chambers these are mainly uh you know uh law people jag people that kind of thing okay so uh from colonel dwight h sullivan u.s marine corps reserves chief defense counsel he says the rules appear to be carefully crafted to ensure that an accused can be convicted and possibly executed based on nothing but a coerced confession the rules would allow an accused to be executed based on nothing but hearsay. This is inconsistent with the approach recommended by Senator uh, Lindsey Graham. Senator Graham, a veteran military lawyer, stated that although there may be need to have additional exceptions with the hearsay rule, 
it would serve us well as a country to sit down and come up with a hearsay rule that has exceptions for the needs of war on the war on terror, not just ignore the hearsay rule in general. I don't What's know he I, talking about there? He He's saying that, well, we need star chambers, but they need to be not quite so arbitrary. Oh, really? Yes. That's what he's saying. The rules provide no protection against unreasonable searches and seizures, even searches that would intrude on a person's body. Under the manual, a defendant can have his body cavities forcibly searched without his consent, and any evidence, what kind of evidence are you going to find in body cavities? Wait, what <laughs> manual is this? How to run a star chamber? I don't understand. <laughs> what, what, are we talking about the manual that they're running the secret uh, courts by, or the... The military tribunals by? Well, you've got me. Um, you've, you've got me uh, on the ropes there. I don't okay. know what manual it is precisely. I know that this is uh, regarding the uh, Military Commissions Act, um, and you how know, they're supposed to treat people, I guess. And, and these are quotes from the uh, Senate Armed Services Committee hearing, August two, um, August second, two thousand six. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> he can. Let's see. They can. Any evidence derived thereof may be admitted against him. A defendant could be. Uh, subjected to risky surgery in an effort to try to obtain something that the prosecution wants to see, like a piece of shrapnel. Oh boy. A defendant has absolutely no right to object to such a conduct under these rules, and the authorities don't even need to obtain a search warrant from a judge. The rules, broad um, prote protections for classified information, threaten to swallow everything. These rules are particularly scary, coming in the wake of the new Guantanamo classification guidelines that make even the prisoner's own name a classified secret. Wow. The rules violate the principle that the jury shouldn't be allowed to see anything that the defendant can't see. Witnesses can be shielded so that the defendant can't see them, but the jury can. Rules favor the prosecution over the defense, for example. Witnesses can be shielded, which is, of course, all of this is in direct contradiction with the Constitution. I mean, right. the Constitution... You're supposed to be able to face your accuser. Exactly. Witnesses against you, you should be able to see who they are. Correct. This is so un-American. And it's happening right here. The prosecution can base its entire case on hearsay without calling witnesses. But if the defendant offers his own hearsay statement without taking the stand... Objection! The judge must tell the members, essentially, that the evidence is, isn't believable. The rules require the commission to accept the fundamentally flawed combat status review tribunal um, process determination that a person is an unlawful enemy combatant um, is dispositive... Once a uh, CRT has been made a determination, the military commission cannot look beyond, behind the finding, even if the CSRT proceeding relied on evidence obtained by torture or other unreliable evidence. I don't know what the military terms are, the yeah, acronyms. I, yeah, essentially what one of these uh, – this is the Combat Status Review Tribunal okay. decides whether or not a person's unlawful en enemy combatant. And then um, – Oh, that's the tribunal that, uh, that Bush gets to appoint people to. The, yeah, the, the Star Chamber. Right. The Bush, the, the whole deal with the Military uh, Commissions Act and them labeling you an unlawful, what is it, unlawful enemy, enemy combatant? combatant? Right. Them labeling you that, that's decided by that board. What was the acronym? CT what? CSRT. The CSRT it's and the President com Bush. Com combatant Status Review Tribunal. And President Bush gets to hand pick the people that sit on the, that tribunal. So it's all going to be his guys. And if they decide that Wayne is an enemy, uh, unlawful enemy combatant, then you're going to get picked up and thrown into the system that he's. I'm describing. sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just that quick. And there's really, you know, there's nothing to stop. They're doing. They did it to uh, Jose Padilla. There's no reason exactly they couldn't do they it did. to you. They did it to Jose Padilla when it was illegal. 
And then what they did with the Military Commissions Act was they retroactively said, hey, you know what, all that, it was illegal, but no longer. In fact, retroactively, it's now been, uh, now been made completely legal, all the horrific things we did to that man. That's what they've done. And now we can do it to anybody else as long as this tribunal decides, that, uh, decides you should be on the list. See where things are going, folks? How could you not see where these things are going? I mean, once presented with the information, which I don't think this is coming from a major news source, is it, Mark? Um, Where's this coming from? I haven't been able to figure out the uh, the source, the Miami Herald. Well, mm-hmm. even when presented with uh, with the information, most people won't come across it. And uh, it's amazing to me that most people aren't waking up to the fact that uh, they live in a very scary country. This is sick. These rules permit, um, this is from Nan Aran, president of the Alliance for Justice. These rules permit death penalty verdicts against detainees who have confessed under torture and coercive interrogation. Mm-hmm. This is certainly not justice, and in fact, is little more than a rejection of American values. <clears throat> Abomination. Yeah, it's unconscionable that the Bush administration drafted the rules in secret with no input from Congress or the public. Not that it should matter anyway, but Congress and the public say these people have rights, whether they're American citizens or not. And, you know, they're not prisoners of war because there's no war. This whole Who process, are we fighting against? this tribunal is only really going to be picking up American citizens. As I understand it, that's their purpose, is to go after American citizens that they believe are so-called unlawful enemy combatants. More on the way, this could be you. This could be us. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up whatever you want. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. The packet8.net toll-free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. We ask that you voluntarily support the show by buying some stuff. Head over to amazon.freetalklive.com and stock up on whatever you need for life. There's 35 categories of products, everything from books like uh, Terry Goodkind's. Uh, Terry Goodkind's books. You can buy those at Amazon.freetalklive.com. And I have. And uh, there's books, there's DVDs, office products, sporting goods, accessories, clothing, you name it, they sell it. Even big stuff like furniture, high-dollar items, all there, Amazon.freetalklive.com. When you buy through that link, Free Talk Live gets a percentage of your purchase. So seriously, what could be better? You don't have to leave your house. You order the stuff with a few clicks of the mouse. Uh, it comes delivered to your door. Free Super Saver shipping in many, many cases. And you help Free Talk Live out all at the same time. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Well, we just got through a st- uh, an article from you, uh, I guess the Miami Herald, Mark, reporting on some experts who had uh, taken a closer look at this Military Commissions Act of 2006, which essentially, in case you weren't aware, is a law that was passed to authorize all of the unconstitutional, outrageous things that the Bush administration has done to people like Jose Padilla or Padilla, whatever you want to call him, over the last uh, several years. And they've made it legal now, all of these abuses of the Constitution, these violations, blatant violations of uh, freedom and liberty and the concepts and, and ideas that this country was founded on. All of it's now fully legal, and uh, there was a, there's a tribunal that the president has formed I don't know if his members are sitting on it yet, but he has the ability now to form this tribunal to simply, uh, the, the purpose of the tribunal is to identify unlawful enemy combatants, so-called. And once you're labeled an unlawful enemy combatant, you are then picked up by the government, you are then thrown into a military brig and given a, a, a military trial, a tribunal, 
a star chamber, mm-hmm. as they're called, where all of the rights that you are familiar with, according to the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, uh, the right to a fair trial, the right to a speedy trial, the right to a trial by your peers, a jury of your peers, the right to confront the witnesses against you, the right to counsel, all of these things have been thrown completely out the window. And, you know, the right when it comes to the right to counsel, it, you know, that, that includes you can't even talk to your family and friends. You're held in secret. Right. It's they don't a know secret you're court. You're in a secret prison. The secret police have snatched you up. You, they have secret evidence against you. Um, they, they have They're not secret, releasing your name. Secret witnesses. I, the the jury is a bunch of government bureaucrats. It's uh, you know a military jury mm-hmm. or um, somebody appointed by Bush. You're in deep deep doo doo if you get involved. If, if you, you get might as well be by, dead. Yeah. And then you hear these snotballs say, "Oh, you mean you support the rights of terrorists?" Well, no, we don't. We support the rights of people wrongly accused of terrorism. That's why the Bill of Rights was written. Uh, not just because of wrongly accusing uh, people of terrorism, but wrongly accusing people of anything. The purpose behind the Bill of Rights is to protect not criminals, but to protect those who have been wrongly accused, those who have been uh, railroaded by uh, overzealous prosecutors and uh, government authorities who just want to put people in prison cells. The purpose behind the Bill of Rights is to give those people a shot, to give those people a, a chance at defending themselves, at having an honest and fair trial. That's right. And, and if now all the facts come out, the jury can decide, the judge can decide. Right. And now it's all been ejected over this uh, terrorism fear, this scare, uh, scaremongering by these politicians. And we were talking during the break, Wayne, that, you know what, with, with all of this scary stuff going on in this country, there is no better time than now to get active in the pro-freedom movement. Whether that means joining the Free State Project and moving to New Hampshire, and I hope that's what that means for you, because it seems to me that's the most effective way uh, to make a difference in this country and in your lives as far as uh, attaining more freedom personally. Yeah, I think this is our last chance, guys. It really is. And don't wait. There's no, uh, there's no need to hesitate. Don't wait for the 20,000. In fact, if you miss the first 1,000 sign-up period, so come anyway. Come within the next few years. Get here as, as soon as you possibly can. I feel like the, you know, the we're make the stand for liberty is being made now. Absolutely, it's it started already, and you know the sooner people get here and the sooner people start, the sooner it's going to be happening. Ed Brown's the tip of the iceberg. You know, and despite what the rest of the United States does, I see New Hampshire as being a potential Hong Kong in a sense. I agree. Because Hong Kong is the num- is number one in the world in economic freedom, despite the fact that they're controlled and, and pretty much owned by communist China. Yeah. Well, China has brilliantly decided to let the golden goose lay, essentially. They aren't messing with Hong Kong. When they regained control, what I guess about 10 years ago now, they regained control. They pretty much didn't do anything but open a couple of offices there and uh, let them be. And thank goodness they have, because uh, Hong Kong, as you put it, is the number one most economically free country in two separate surveys by two completely different organizations. The Free the World survey at Free the World, I believe it's .com or .org, freetheworld.com or .org, and then there's the Heritage Foundation uh, Index of Economic Freedom, both of them. And the United States is slipping down the list every year. Yep. Sure is. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't seem to have any breaks on it either. It just keeps on going down, down, down. And the main reason that it's uh, slipping down the charts is the tax burden in the United States keeps on increasing. <laughs> and you know, if they could just if they just roll back the taxes and uh, the impending taxes that are coming on from you know wars that were, are going to be fought forever and ever, um, then well, we'd go back up the charts. Well, W did cut taxes, but he didn't cut spending. And so the other tax, the well, bit well, where's it going to come tax, from? Yeah, inflation. They print more money. He just wants some Democrat in the future to tax us on it. 
That's that way right. they can blame the <laughs> blame the next guy, right? Right. Oh, it's pathetic. It really is. And uh, so I really feel like if you have been waiting and sitting on the fence, well, what more does it take? I mean, the the right to a fair trial in this country is being abolished under your nose, right out in the open. The argument from the other side, from the political opposition to this program, isn't whether or not this should be happening, but, hey, we should have run it by Congress, or we should have run it by the people first. We should see what they think about all this uh, destruction of freedom. That mm. Nobody's taking the position that this is anathema to freedom, that this is the antithesis of liberty. They're creating a lot of criminals, and, you know, there's just a few basic laws that we need. Don't kill don't cheat, don't steal, don't rape. There's not that many. It's simple, guys. You'd think. You'd think. But now look at all the piles and piles and piles and walls full of laws we have. Yep. It's crazy. How many criminals have those, have those created? And how many people could possibly even begin to get a grasp on all of the laws in the United States? It, that would be impossible. The, the, this country has, has come to the, uh, the point of total absurdity. Just it's the tax laughable. code alone. Just the, the yeah. tax code alone, and then all the other codes, all the other mucky-muck things that they've got on the books now. Zoning regulations. There's another one. You oh. try, try learning just the zoning regulations in your town. Now, I, maybe if you have a very, very, very small town of a uh, couple hundred people, you might be able to handle it. But if you're in a mid- medium-sized city, lower, smaller-sized city, impossible. Mm-hmm. How could you possibly understand that? It's, it, we've gone into the realm of insanity in this country. And we continue down the path towards tyranny. I think the only way you accelerating. I think the only way you would even know what the zoning laws, even in a small town, were, is if a you're um, you know some kind of architect or something like that. You're involved in the building industry in your Mm -hmm. town. That way, you you would uh, it would make sense for you to know that stuff. Or b you worked on the planning board, and they probably don't know it all either. Their answer to everything is just no. Yeah. So (laughs) that's just how they do things, you know. 1-800-259-9231. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. How do you feel about where the country is going, and how fast we're going there? Is it disturbing you? And if not, what's it going to take to get to you? What's your? Uh, I mean, I presume that many of the people listening to this program have been disturbed. They have realized that uh, things have gone way too far, and hopefully, they're getting active to do something about it. But I like asking the question of what about the rest of America? Because they're definitely asleep at the wheel. And what's it going to take to clue them in, to wake them up? The Jose Padilla story apparently isn't enough. The fact that the United States government has imprisoned a man with no charges. Now, he has some charges now after three and a half years. That's how long it took them to uh, to charge him. And the only reason they charged him was because the Supreme Court stepped in and said, you either... Charge, or was it Federal Court or Supreme Court? They stepped in and they told the Bush administration, you either charge this guy or you let him go. Because he's been held for three and a half years. And now it's over four years at this point. They finally did decide to charge him, but only because they were ordered to by the courts. Uh, All of this right out in the open, and all the rest of America just keeps on chugging along. Just completely oblivious to what's going on right underneath their noses. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. We don't, we're not getting on the air espousing some secretive plan by the New World Order to control everyone in America. No, this is what they are doing out in the open. No, this we, is the, the truth. We outline it just every single night. That's what we do. 
What yeah. do you mean? Well, that, that that's what's happening. We're we're chomping off towards some kind of weird uh, hybrid between communism and socialism, some totalitarian regime, fascism and socialism. Yes. Yeah. Um, and these things are documented. These aren't theories. These are documented. And, and Americans just sit back, flip on the tube, crack open a brewski, go to bed the next night, wake up in the morning, do it all over again. When will they get a clue? Your thoughts, 800-259-9231. You take control of the airwaves. Let's talk law enforcement. On the way, this is your show. It is Free Talk Live. Hour 3 is coming up. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airway toll-free at 800-259-9231. That is the packet 8.net toll-free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. In here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away, so do enjoy those. Freetalklive.com to the phones, to the fun. Gene, the Christian anarchist calling from Tennessee on the Amplifier line. Hey, Gene, you're on Free Talk Live. What's up? Hello, guys. I was hey. going to talk to you earlier. You were discussing rights. Yes. And uh, the fact that uh, some people claim that people don't have rights because they're not citizens. And I wanted to point out that the rights exist because we are created with them. Now, you may disagree with what, whether there is a creator or what a creator is, but the fact is that our concept of law has always been based on that we are created with our rights. Therefore, you, if you don't want to call them God-given rights, you can call them human rights. Natural but rights. You, but you have, well, I don't even like natural rights. They're human rights mm. because you have them based on the fact that you're human. You are a human being, therefore you have all the rights that every human being has. But now you have so, other human beings in uh, so-called positions of power deeming that, uh, no, nah, if you're an enemy, uh, unlawful enemy combatant, you don't have any of those rights anymore. Well, um, there's an old case called Yikwo v. Washington. <clears throat> Yikwo v. Um, hmm. Gosh, I forgot. Yeah, well, Yikwo v. somebody. Anyway, it was a San Francisco case in the Ninth Circuit Court uh, in the 1800s, uh, Chinese uh, guy who uh, had a laundromat and they, the state said he couldn't do I mean the city said he couldn't do something and uh, brought him up on charges and it was all overturned because they ruled that he has rights that can't be overruled and uh, what they were trying to say was that he didn't have the same rights as everybody else because he was not a US citizen he was a Chinese uh, uh, servant what do they call them when they're under the emperor of China? He was a subject. Subject. That's it. He was still a subject of the emperor of China, even mm. though he'd been living in the U.S. for ten years. Mm. And the court ruled, and they ruled correctly. And I don't put a lot of stock in court rules, you know, sure. because uh, because I'm an anarchist. But in this case, they did actually make a wise decision, and they said that uh, uh, even though he was a foreigner, he still has rights. But the rights don't stop at the U.S. border either. They only stop at the border uh, that when you cross over it, there are no human beings. So if you stop at a border, if you can find a border somewhere that has no human beings on the other side of it, then that's where the rights stop. Until you find that border, rights exist 
completely around the planet. On the moon, if you have men on the moon, it doesn't matter where they are, rights extend to wherever you find humans. It doesn't, this whole concept of trying to say that we can take this person's rights away because of this, that, or the other thing has got to go out the window. Wouldn't We've that be defined uh, essentially as inhuman? Right. To do that? And, and we've also got to stop using this ridiculous term, civil rights. There's no such thing as civil rights. You have rights based on the fact that you're human. There is no such thing as civil rights. Well civil said, rights Gene. are granted by the government, and there are no rights granted by the government right. because the government has no power to grant them. Well, they think they do. They think they do, and they need to be woken up. So, yeah, they're just they're living in a fantasy world. They're just people, too. And yep. they, they, they feel like they're better than everybody else. And not only does the, do the government people feel like they're better than everyone else, but also there are many people that echo the sentiments uh, that, you're, that you're addressing here, Gene, and that is those people who believe, is it ethnocentrism? I don't know if that's the right word, or nationocentrism? The people that believe that um, because you were born in the United States or because you were born in America, all of a sudden you are a better person than everyone else around the world. You have rights and no one else does. These are sick, sick people. Well, it's one thing oh, to believe I, that I, you're better. Because I certainly, you know, to, to some extent or another, I do believe that America is better than the rest of the world. America it's, is better? It's a plot of land. But um, the, I, I think that there's really some great things about this country and uh, the people that have grown up inside of it. But Wait, when, when you, you start, say this country, do you mean the government or no. America? The nation. The people. the people in it and the values that they um, have had through for the last 300 years, you know, 200, 300 years actually, um, prior to the You're saying they're better the than nation. the rest of the world? Yeah. Based on what? Well, um, try, try to talk libertarianism with somebody in Japan. They will okay. not understand what freedom means, not for nothing. They don't get freedom. Freedom isn't part of their culture. People here don't get freedom either. It's not they, part they of their culture They have a significantly here. better understanding of what freedom is, I don't know what human that. rights are, than people in Japan. I don't know if I agree. I, Gene, your I thoughts? Think you'll, I, I think you'll find people in Japan that understand freedom and people in any other country. They may be a very small minority. And it may not be the uh, the the uh, standard view of that culture, but well, there are it's people. It's a small in minority here. It's a small. It is what a is small it? One percent of the population understands freedom in America. Yes, that there's yeah. very few people that understand what freedom is because most of this pe most of the people think that they should pay income tax. Well, how in the world do you explain paying income tax and freedom? You can't. How do you? How do you they don't jive. Well, that's not correlating everything, and that's accepting what uh, we've we've been you know doled out and had for the last hundred years. But uh, you know, we still have the Bill of Rights. I don't think that uh, many people even would get the idea of the Bill of Rights in many countries. That's right. Well, the Bill of Rights. The the only thing that George Bush probably ever said that really made sense was the one time when he said, we're talking about the Constitution. He says it's just a GD piece of paper. Yep. He was right. He was right. On that one subject, he was right. The Constitution grants you nothing. It does nothing. And it the has fact no that those, I'm not saying that the Constitution grants well, anything, Gene. All I'm saying is that the Bill of Rights does outline some of the rights that we have as humans. But Okay, that may be true, but that doesn't mean that you're better because you were born in America. That's absurd. It's look. I'm not saying that I'm more deserving, but yeah, I do. I can think that we are better. I just don't think we should go around killing people because of it. I don't think we should, um, you know, institute our laws on somebody else. I'm allowed to think whatever I want about yeah. the country. We've been entrusted with with a really unique republic, and we're blowing it. That's basically what's happening. We're blowing it. So 
even though we've we've come up and what's happened now is that so, through incrementalism, a lot of people have forgotten about freedom. They've forgotten uh, what it's like to truly be free. A hundred years ago, people were much freer than they are today. There was no withholding in your paycheck. People got paid in gold and silver coins. You put them in your pocket and you went out and went shopping. It was much different then. Gene, any other thoughts for us? No, sir. I think we covered it pretty good. Thanks for, uh, for the call tonight. We appreciate hearing from you as always. 800-259-9231. So let me see if I got this straight, Mark. You believe that people are actually just better people because they were born within a certain boundary of land? Um, yeah, that's precisely what I said. Just because of the piece of dirt you're born on, that makes you a better person. No. You're what thinking. I said was that people that were, that grew up in America mm-hmm. and surrounded by concepts of freedom and liberty, although they've been bastardized and although they've been, um, you know, the, the wings on that, uh, on our, you know, flying eagle have been clipped. Mm. Big people time. get ideas of human rights better in America than they do elsewhere. People get the idea of sovereignty better in America than they do elsewhere. And sovereignty. Fine. Sovereignty. Um, and, you know, if Gene says that it's one way in Japan, I can tell you that the Celestrian is over in Japan right now, um, mm-hmm. one of our listeners, and he says, you can't talk libertarianism with anybody there because they don't get it. They're part of the collective. They're there to serve. 800-259-9231. I just don't think it's very... Uh, I see where you're coming from on that, but I just think it's uh, kind of pointless to get on the air and advocate that uh, you're better than everyone else just because you happen to be born in a place where some people wrote some stuff down on a piece of paper I think hundreds of years ago. I, you know, I made it very clear that I don't think we should go around killing people because yeah. of you know, gotcha. what country they're in now or I know where you're like coming that. from. Now I understand where you're coming from, and so does everyone else. Let's go to John in Salem. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian, Wayne, and Mark. Hello. Hey, guys. Hey, John. Hey. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, I heard uh, uh, on the show earlier this week uh, some language that I'm trying to correct my own uh, vocabulary, and I and I wanted to run it by you guys. Uh, it's very common for both Ian, Mark, probably Wayne, and probably all the listeners to refer to taxes when we're t- referring to federal taxes, as in my case when I say at some point I'm going to stop paying my federal taxes, mm, yeah. I need to get over that word, my. They're not my taxes. I agree with you, John. You need to get over it. Mark needs to get over it. Wayne needs to get over it. The listeners need to get over it. You know, John, if we're going to go correct language, um, it's Mark, not Mark. <laughs> oh, cut it out. You are being such a jerk tonight. Hey, John, thanks for the call, man. We appreciate it. Great point. Thanks for bringing it up. Thanks, 800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live, and Mark thinks he's better than you. (laughs) This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves. Toll free, 800-259-9231. The pack at 8.net. Toll free line for you. That's 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All the features completely free. Archives included. An entire year's worth of the show right there on the front page of the website for your downloading convenience. And that, again, is uh, freetalklive.com. And what's your liberty issue? Is it the war on drugs? Register now for the February of 2007 New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Speakers to include Jack Cole, Executive Director of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, as well as Rob Campia, the Executive Director of the Marijuana Policy Project, and New Hampshire residents that are working to end the war on drugs. Freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum for more information and to get registered. That's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. 
In fact, I think uh, probably uh, John in New Hampshire, we just got off the phone with him. I, he's somebody I, I might expect to show up at the, uh, the Liberty Forum. Not only will you be able to meet libertarian luminaries, but you'll probably be able to meet some of our callers from yeah. New Hampshire as and, well. You know, just ordinary libertarian folks that want to see big changes happen. Let's go to the phones to Stephen in Massachusetts. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian Wayne and Mark. Hello, Stephen. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. Stephen. What's up? I just want to call in because Mark made a comment about how Americans are better than people in other places in the world. Yeah. And I do, I, I want to say that I understand where he's coming from. And I'm not sure if you exactly got it, Ian. I think... Oh, he understands he's just a jerk. I think you're a jerk for <laughs> suggesting it. So there you we, go. We all are very fortunate uh, to be born in the United States, in, in America, but I don't think that means that we're better people because of it. I think that's really, I, I think, sad. But what did you have to say, Stephen? I, I agree. It's not exactly the way he should have stated it. What I mean, what I think he means is, for instance, when he compares us to the Japanese, most Japanese people have a certain view of the world that is very um, different from the way Americans think of the world. Okay. That would make it very difficult to communicate libertarianism or anything like it to them. Well, they had they emperors have very for many years. Generally collectivist view of the world generally revolves around the idea of the family, of the tribe, of the nation. Mm -hmm. The individual is very much marginalized in Japanese thinking. Yeah. So yeah. it's not that it makes them better, but I think that's... Mark, is that where you were coming from on that? It's, it's pretty much that. I think that uh, America's the... Um, you know, we, we come up with the inventions of the world. Why? <laughs> what? We come up with the inventions? The Japanese come up with plenty of inventions. Like... Uh, major electronics corporations all headquartered in Japan, sir. Do uh, you think they invented things you think like inventing the them here in the United television? States? Television. I mean, they might be um, tweaking the inventions that they're um, that that currently are out there, but they didn't invent these things. We I came up with the major that. concepts. You That's know, an allegation, you know, uh, unproven. Uh, a once free America was a fertile ground for creativity and innovation. But that's escaping us now. I would agree with that, too. The Japanese do invent some things, but overall, you're right. We have invented much more in the United States, but we're, we're in danger of losing all that now. I would concur. Stephen, any other thoughts? Thanks for the well, call. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free packet8.net line. That's 1-800-259-9231. It's okay. Uh, people certainly are different. They're raised in different societies and cultures around the world. But to say that one is better than the other is just asinine. Then somebody in Japan could get on and say, well, we're better in Japan because we were raised under collectivism. That makes us better. You know, it's just really just pointless to make those claims. I, I, I didn't make those pl claims. You said some people would say and so i i felt um obligated to defend people that oh, would that's say, not how you feel it is how i feel i feel that americans so you are, are making better. those claims but so don't i don't you think that claims. it's necessary to go after muslims and kill them off as a result okay i didn't suggest that you did say that sir i was just you were suggesting out. that people that thought that way thought that it was a good idea to go around the world yeah, instituting our beliefs said, never once said anything that was like what that, it certainly sounded like suggestion but, uh, Florida's Pinellas County has agreed to pay $100,000 to two men mistakenly arrested and roughed up by deputies from the Sheriff's Department's Narcotics Division. Fortunately for the men, Desmond Small, who's 26, and Christopher Loblin, 
or Labin from StopTheDrugWar.org, by the way. The incident was caught on videotape from a camera in a car rental office where the bad bust went down. The August 17th incident occurred when deputies following a vehicle thought to be carrying drugs lost track of it. Whoops. Minutes later, another pair of deputies spotted what they thought was the same vehicle and followed it to the car rental agency. That's bad news. When the vehicle's occupants got out and entered the car rental office, the deputies burst in with guns drawn and forced Small and Lobin to the floor. One deputy put his foot on the back of Small's head and repeatedly pushed his face into the floor. Small suffered abrasions to his face and cuts to his mouth that require and a cut to his mouth that required stitches. Rental agency employees said the carpet he was lying on was so bloodstained that they had to throw it out. Mm. The video also showed two officers exchanging high fives over their big bust, and one of them apparently stopping on Small's leg as he lay cuffed on the carpet. Although rental agency employees who witnessed the arrest of Small and Lobin didn't resist, the deputies accused Small of not cooperating, saying, I don't think they were resisting other than just being kind of shocked. I mean, just amazing. Small said, I was like, what the hell is going on? I said, sir, I didn't do anything. The $100,000 payout to the two men was approved by the county attorney. She said that given the results of the sheriff's department's investigation, the pair could have sued the county for civil rights violations, wrongful arrest, and personal injury. The two narcotics uh, deputies, whose status as undercover agents apparently protects them from having their identities revealed, are now serving 12-day suspensions without pay and are on workplace suspension for a year. So, slap on the hand for crushing someone's skull into the carpet. And making making the carpet so bloody that they had to throw the damn thing out. So it makes you ask the question, uh, at least uh, pilotonline.com asking the question, who polices the police? John Fletcher stood outside in the cold for an hour the night of November 16th, the target of an unexplained police stop outside of a Chesapeake shopping plaza. Now, John is a, uh, a professional driver. The men in plain clothes peered into his vehicle with a flashlight. They questioned him about drugs in the area, he said. They ran a field sobriety test. He says he passed, except for his inability to recite the alphabet backward, and that's got to be hard for anybody. It's not, it can't be easy. Z, Y. Police later administered a breath analysis, and he passed. They ran a criminal background check. Nothing. Fletcher was told he could reach into his car to retrieve a coat, but the 52-year-old didn't move. He was afraid of what might happen. Then Fletcher remembers watching... By the way, Fletcher is black. Then Fletcher remembers watching the three officers, one by one, drive off that night without any explanation. He yelled to them. I said, hey, I I need some ID or something from you all, Mm -hmm. Fletcher said. They said... They didn't have to give me anything. So, after being shaken down by the police uh, by the police on the side of the road, being forced into a battery of sobriety tests, the police refused to identify themselves and left the scene. You know, it's I, I believe it's against the law for uh, individuals not to identify themselves. It is. How come the police are above them? I mean, shouldn't the police, are our, our public servants, shouldn't they have to identify themselves to us? Well, it's not the first time it's happened, uh, according to the website. Each year, hundreds of citizens such as Fletcher file complaints against the police in Southampton Roads, but internal hand- and around the country. But internal handling of those complaints by police does little to reassure citizens that their concerns are taken seriously. Chesapeake is studying the idea of a citizen review board as a neutral third-party examiner of police conduct. But... Guess who's against the idea? I bet the police are. More on the way. 800-259. Civilians shouldn't be getting involved in our our work. 1-800-259-9231. Your negative encounters with the police, if you've got them, and I'm sure many of you do. And if you've had a glowing encounter with the cops, you can share that as well. This is your show, and anything goes. It is Free Talk Live. 
Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You bring up whatever you want. Toll-free number for you, 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. Once again, that's 800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site, we give it away. And that includes the bulletin board system. We've got nearly 180,000 posts. In fact, we might have crossed that uh, that milestone at this point. Over 180,000 posts, uh, over 1,300 people interacting, and it's all totally free. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. Once again, bbs.freetalklive.com. And uh, birthdays and anniversaries can catch you unawares. 800flowers, that's 1-800flowers.com, delivers the same day, any day. Call, click, or come in for fresh flowers and gourmet gifts. Use code FTL, like Free Talk Live, to save 10% off your next order. That's FTL, 1-800flowers.com. Don't forget uh, Valentine's Day is coming up, too. So, yeah, do your Valentine's Day shopping at 1-800-Flowers.com and use code FTL. Brilliant idea, Mark. Yes, I am brilliant. 1-800-259-9231. The story is out of, I believe, Chesapeake Bay. PilotOnline.com reporting that uh, John Fletcher was essentially shaken down by three police officers. They gave him a battery of sobriety tests. And he felt a little bit in danger. They told him he could get a coat out of his truck, but he was concerned that if he reached inside his truck, they'd use it as an excuse to uh, to harm him, obviously feeling uh, fairly uh, threatened by these particular police officers. They left the scene, and as they left, he yelled to them he wanted some identification from them. And they told him they didn't have to give him that, and they pulled away. And so he filed a complaint. In fact, hundreds of complaints are filed for this, just this particular police department, and I would guess that probably several hundred thousand of complaints are filed uh, across the country. And in this particular case, Chesapeake is studying the idea of a citizen review board as a neutral third-party examiner of police conduct. Chesapeake Police Chief Richard Justice wouldn't discuss the idea of civilian oversight, saying his department is currently researching the matter. However, some police agencies are against the public looking over their shoulders. wonder why that could be. Virginia uh, Beach Police Chief A.M. Jackos Jr. or Jackox Jr. is opposed to civilian oversight, arguing that the people appointed to such committees typically know little about law enforcement goals, tactics, and public <laughs> service. No, maybe you could teach them a few things about. It. Well, you know, isn't the law enforcement's goals, tactics, and service to serve the people? People like the people that would be on that board. To serve and protect, just like the side of the I police cars sh- used to say. I think it should be easy and transparent what the goals and tactics of the police force are. Norfolk Police Chief Bruce Marquis is also against the idea. He said his department has already had uh, already has internal checks, including the Office of Professional Standards, the Firearms Review Board, and the department's homicide unit, which looks into police shootings. They're also reviews by the Commonwealth's attorney and sometimes the state police. He said, quote, there are several mechanisms in place now that have proven to be very effective in reviewing actions by officers. We don't need no civilians looking at us. All right, I added that last part, but seriously, these guys don't want any sort of oversight. Why do you think that is? Nationwide, there are nearly 150 civilian oversight agencies with varying degrees of authority, said Pierce Murphy, the president of the National Association of Civilian Oversight of Law Enforcement, or NACOL, a nonprofit organization that works to improve community and police relations. Murphy says he doesn't know of any such groups in Virginia. 
Our view is that oversight, an effective, real form of oversight, assures the community that its police officers are exercising their power effectively and in the best interest of the community. So a civilian oversight board could be used when a police officer is shot, civilians are shot by police, when police are accused of breaking the law, or when civilians are injured by police. And then they go on down the list of things that these boards can be used for in more detail about a civilian oversight board. But what I found interesting about this article was how it points out the corruption that is just rampant through the upper levels of uh, many police agencies. How could somebody who purports, a chief of police, who purports to be serving and protecting uh, citizens, be against those same citizens that he's supposed to serve and protect, having oversight over his job, or over some, some form of oversight over his department? How could that be? What's he afraid of, exactly? You know, they, the people that are in charge don't want other people in charge over them. Let's go. That makes perfectly good sense. I wouldn't want somebody here telling me what I can say on the air. 1-800-259-9231. But this is a public agency. It's not a, it's not a business. So right. it's, it's a government agency. Which... I'm not saying that they shouldn't have people right. that tell them what to do. I'm just saying that it's human nature not to want to have people to tell oh, them no, what I, to do. Oh, no, I understand. And uh, it's just that this is a government agency. Therefore, they should have that oversight, that extra level of uh, protection for the people. That's if we're going to continue having government police, which of course I'm completely against. Because if uh, this was, a, if this were a, for instance, a private protection agency, then all the oversight they would need would be their customers. If their customers didn't like the way they were doing business, if the customers didn't like their policies, they could complain and not come back. If uh, the business didn't make a change, if the business owner, the private police protection, a private protection agency owner or board didn't uh, institute new policies to make their customers happy, they'd lose the business to the, uh, the agency across town. It would be a self-correcting problem. The market self-corrects all the time based on a variety of different signals, market signals. People unsatisfied consumers, people who are angry, satisfied consumers. Various different signals are factored in, and, and uh, countless numbers of them, and they're all taken in at once by the business owners, and then they make decisions as to what to do. With bureaucracies, it doesn't work that way. There are very few signals that uh, the police get. They get complaints all the time. But that, they don't care. They don't have to do anything about it. No, what difference does it make? They're not going to stop their funding. They could get complaint after complaint after complaint, and that funding's going to roll in year after year. Mm. You know, I think it's worse in some states than others, depending on, on how decentralized the police forces are. In New Hampshire, each town, a lot of things are done at the town level here as opposed to other states. Mm -hmm. And if a group of citizens were upset at the police department, they could conceivably cut funding for that department. They, the citizens? Yes. How? Well, there's town meetings here all over. Uh, if someone's upset about the police department uh, in a city here, a town here, uh, they have a lot more say-so. They can actually fight City Hall a lot better here than you can in other states. Let's go to the phones. Talk to Zach in Minnesota. Zach, who is training to be a law enforcement officer. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian Wayne and Mark. You guys had to know that you are going to hear from me talking about this. I'm glad we did, Zach. Well, how do you feel? <laughs> um... I don't see what all the hoo-ha is about. I think that's a wonderful idea, having a board like that. Um, you know, just, well, you know, this is me, the college student. I'm still in theory classes, you know. I yeah. don't know anything about the real world yet, apparently. Well, you haven't but, been um, indoctrinated into the Brotherhood yet, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe I'm just still in that phase, you know, every law student wants to go out and change the world and all that, but... Mm -hmm. 
you know, I would like to think when I'm a cop and maybe as I work my way up into the administration, you know, why, what better idea than to have the people you're supposed to be serving tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong? Hmm. I just don't see why. You're such uh, an idealist, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> they were good you know, cops maybe and bad I'm cops. just wishing for, you know, a perfect world, but... But here you are with, with quotes from, I mean, Wayne, you say there are good cops and bad cops, and I agree with you. Unfortunately, it seems to be that the bad cops are the ones that, go, that advance, that the bad cops are the ones, in, the, in this case, it, these are the chiefs of police that are against the civilian oversight. Right. In the case of the, uh, med- the marijuana decriminalization measure that we uh, were looking at last week here in New Hampshire, who came out to testify against it? The chiefs of police. What's going on here? The more the local police departments become more centralized at the state and federal level, the worse things are going to get. Mark my words. I totally agree. Zach, uh, how do you feel? I mean, have you have you heard anything from anyone on the inside about corruption? Have you experienced any of it? Just, I mean, considering you I'm sure you've done some tours with cops. I'm sure you've hung out with some uh, with some cops, you know, gone into the Explorers program or whatever. Have you have you touched on any corruption in in uh, the departments you've experienced? Well, um, I think we touched on this one of the other times I called in, but, um, you know, anything I see is some guy happens to bowl over his buddy and, oh, yeah, we won't worry about it. Um, I've never seen anything like taking money under the table or anything like that. Right. I mean, yeah, it happens, but, um, no, I've never seen anything like that. Very but, good. Well, keep us informed as you continue through your career in law enforcement. And we appreciate hearing from you, as always, Zach. 800-259-9231. The toll-free number from you. Why on earth would a chief of police who's supposed to be serving the people oppose a little bit of oversight from those same people? Hmm. On the way, it's Free Talk Live. You take control of the airwaves. Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything, the toll-free number is 800-259-9231. Packet8.net toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. We ask that you voluntarily support the show by amping. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com. Amp stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. The concept is simple. All you do is you send us 3 bucks a month. It's a voluntary thing. All this, the website features are free, so you're not getting anything necessarily for it, though we do have a few perks that we've lined up for you. Uh, but really the whole point is, is to support Free Talk Live and help us get on more radio stations because what we do with the money is we turn it around into radio industry advertising for Free Talk Live. We buy Internet advertising as well and thereby get on more radio stations, get on more people's MP3 players, Spread the message of freedom and liberty. So if that's worthwhile to you, head over to amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. Well, the State of the Union address was last night, and old President Bush got up there and told the same old lies that every other president has uh, has told. Oh, we're going to fix Social Security. We're going to fix Medicaid. We're going to end the war in Iraq uh, one of these days, just <laughs> after we uh, finish doing whatever it is we're doing there. Yeah, we'll get done with the job, and then we can leave. And we're going to save the environment, too. And all of this can be done because we're the government. You know, the usual uh, hub- hubbub. And so we sort of picked him apart on the air. But apparently some people have gotten serious about maybe getting him out of office, huh, Wayne? Oh, boy, yes. What's in, going on? In New Mexico, in fact, a week or two ago, we talked about New Mexico uh, drafting a resolution against the Real ID Act. Well, yesterday at 2 p.m., two senators uh, from New Mexico have introduced uh, their resolution to impeach President Bush and Vice President Cheney based on a resolution crafted by Phil Burke of impeach Bush uh, 
TV and the National Impeachment Movement, the resolution made four charges, three of which are violations of the U.S. Constitution. Hmm. So this is uh, state senators that are doing it? Yes, state is, senators. Is that is it possible to impeach a president that way? Well, there's a lot of legal theories going around now that actually uh, impeachment c- can be initiated by the states. And huh. there are some towns, and even the state of Vermont is wrestling with that as well. But if two states imp- vote to impeach the president, what good's it going to do, right? I think that uh, as more states think about this and, and talk about it, maybe others will get the idea. I, I think a lot of people are very upset with the president, even Republicans. Nonetheless, whether or not it actually pans out, they're certainly sending a message. Big time. They're certainly letting them know they're uh, less than pleased with what's been going on. Absolutely. It would be interesting in a close race like, for instance, what happened in 2000, um, if a if if some states got together right after the election and decided to impeach Bush, then like just suppose right right um, away, just suppose this set some precedent. And uh, then states say, oh, we don't like how things went in that election. Let's just impeach, impeach him. But they have to have a reason to impeach the president. Like viola- like you say, three of them violations of the Constitution. Just just a thought that floated through my head. I mean, they'd, all they'd have to do is wait a week after he was sworn in, and he'd have violated the Constitution probably by then. So. No. It, all presidents have. I might add that, that these two state senators are both Democrats, and we have to, have to say that there's probably some political motivation here but there really? are a lot of there are a lot of republicans who are upset with them for the same reasons so and libertarians as well indeed hey speaking of the uh, state of the union address steve cubby has uh, created his own state of the union address you know steve we've had him on the show in the past he's a tireless advocate of uh, marijuana decriminalization ending the war on drugs and he also happens to be one of the candidates for president in 2008 for the libertarian ticket. Now, I think it'd be interesting to see maybe a fusion ticket between Ron Paul on the Republican side and uh, Steve Covey maybe as the vice presidential candidate. Maybe we could have like a fusion Republican-Libertarian uh, ticket there. Oh, I think the li- Libertarians should support Ron Paul for president mm-hmm. if uh, if he's and you know makes it through the primaries and that kind you, of thing. You know, Ian, I think that the, the marijuana legalization is an issue that you don't want to really too too loudly because i think you have to go mainstream a little bit you have to focus on issues that the mainstream people care about if a libertarian ever stands a chance of winning an election oh well uh, th- steve cubby's more more than a more than about marijuana it's just that that's where he's made his name and that's, that's what me- and that's, that's what the media, media will focus on and that's fine because uh, mainstream america at least under the age of 40 is in favor of marijuana so it is a mainstream issue uh, it's just that the media and the politicians don't think so for some reason. The people who vote, though. Yeah, and uh, yeah. people under 40 don't have the voting block. Maybe maybe we can get them out I, to the I polls. See where but... I see where you're coming from, but you have to understand, Jesse Ventura came out and uh, took some very non-mainstream so-called positions and managed to get people who'd never voted before to turn out and vote. Mm-hmm. So, In Minnesota. Uh, I don't... You know, it's been done, but Jesse Ventura's got a heck of a lot bigger name, and so therefore his more radical stances on some things would mm-hmm. be less detractive than the fact that he's the body, Jesse, the body, Ventura! <laughs> you know, I mean, like... I he's see what get, you're saying. I just, yeah. But I don't think that uh, libertarians should run lukewarm campaigns, and I don't think you're going to see Ron Paul running lukewarm campaigns. I think he's going to take a, a very pro-liberty position, and he's going to position himself as somebody who's radically different from the re- from the rest of the Republicans. You're right, but he's going to take positions on monetary monetary system showing the average american how they're getting screwed by the system which are things that we all can relate to and we care about 
what a monetary system? I don't think most Americans can relate to that. I don't think they care. Well, I think that when you he's very eloquent in the way he explains things, and, and I I'm think, pretty sure he could eloquently explain the war on drugs as well. And, and in fact, definitely. if uh, if Ron Paul, as he did in 1988, ran for president, he did. He got something like over 400,000 uh, votes. You look confused, Mark. He ran for president on the libertarian ticket. No, I know. In 1988, right. I was uh, thinking about something else. And uh, so he ran for president as a libertarian then. That's history. I mean, that's going to come up again. If indeed he is running for president this time around, you can bet that the news anchors and the people that are going to be asking him questions are going to say, hey, weren't you a libertarian at one time? And aren't you for the legalization of drugs? He's going to have to address the issue, mm-hmm. even if it isn't one of his primary ones. I still wouldn't uh, put a candidate like I, you know, I'm not not that I don't like Steve Cubby. I just wouldn't run with a guy whose name has been made in drug legalization, marijuana legalization. I just wouldn't do it. I mean, it's my personal opinion. Ron Paul and Michael My, uh, Michael Badnarik would be a wouldn't be a bad ticket if you're a libertarian. I suppose I don't think Michael Badnarik's going to run again. I think he's uh, he's pretty much tapped out as far as presidential aspirations right. are concerned. You know, there's. Uh, Tancredo, um, which is he's pretty libertarian, not what? great. What are you talking about? He's, Tancredo? He's one of those border control freaks. I agree. So is Ron Paul. Yeah, I, I don't would, think he's like Tancredo. Yeah, I wouldn't say though. he's a freak, though. I wouldn't say Ron Paul's a freak. I think that he just feels that we need to be well, then, a little more Then he's lukewarm on the border issue, and he's not going to get anything done there either. What's Tancredo got as far as the uh, liberty rating? And I'll, I'll have I bet he's not up. even there. That he's not even on that uh, top ten. Uh, you have to give me a second. Or Congress. Jeff Flake. I mean, yeah, there's there's some choices of people that are mostly liberty oriented as opposed to, um, you know, ones that are going to cause problems. You know what? I think Ron Paul, if he does get the nomination, would make a good choice. But the, you're not even hearing his vo- his name mentioned that much in the mainstream media mm-hmm. as a Republican uh, hopeful. Well, I think a number of Republican hopefuls and Democratic hopefuls have actually officially tossed their hat into the ring, and Ron Paul's still in as a, as an exploratory committee. So maybe that's one of the reasons why it's either that or they're just already trying to marginalize his campaign. It's one or the other. But I think Ron Paul already, even though he hasn't necessarily officially announced it, and I'm just going to hold the uh, Steve Covey article t- tomorrow night because we just don't have enough time for it, but uh, Ron Paul is already getting support from various different aspects uh, of, uh, of America, not just the libertarians, but also I'm sure there's a significant chunk of uh, more Goldwater-esque Republicans that are going to be behind him once, as soon as they discover he's out there. I know that uh, even the conspiracy crowd is galvanizing uh, behind Ron Paul. So he's going to have a, a, a huge chunk, I think, of uh, population behind him, maybe more so than people like Pat Buchanan and others who are already writing articles about the candidates have any idea. Like, I don't know if they are really keyed in on how popular this guy is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, he's the only person I really trust to be president. One eight, I don't trust anybody personally, but I'd rather have Ron Paul over uh, over anyone else. Any so, idea Mark, what uh, state uh, Tancredo's from? Texas. Texas. Colorado. Arizona, Colorado. Colorado. One, of those, uh, one of those states. That'll so, be helpful. So Mark is checking the Republican Liberty Caucus rankings where they they essentially take the voting records of uh, the senators and representatives and they determine whether or not they voted in a pro-liberty fashion and come up with some sort of a percentage, I believe it is. Yeah, uh, basically he's uh, 55 on yeah, that's uh, crap on personal issues, yeah. but he's 90 on economical, um, yeah. economic issues, coming out to an average of 72.3, lousy. which puts him, that's not lousy. Would it, look, man, Sounds do you know how much better me, off we'd be if, every, if all of them showed up What's at 72.3? What's Ron Paul personal issues? Um, I, well, give me just a second, yeah. and I'll let you know. Exactly. No one's going to do except you. You should run, maybe. 
Heck no. I'm not even going to run for local <laughs> Wait, office. Did you ever you say kidding? it, Wayne? Nobody's going to do but Ian. Do what? No, no, nobody's going to be good enough. <laughs> the politicians? Heck no, they're not. They're scumbags for the most part. I just It upsets me when you start defending these... I'm um, not defending the guys. Like I'm Tom Tancredo. I'm just trying to take a realistic view. The guy's in the race. He's got a pretty good economic score. I know that he um, shows up pretty libertarian on a lot of issues. So if Tom Tancredo gets the nod, are you going to vote for him? Hell no. All righty then. But I, I think no, a lot no, no, of people to, will. No need to even if, talk about if, it. If, if, he of gets course the, they if he gets the VP nod, I'd, I'd Any, vote for him. Anyone who uh, is going to be voting for a party ticket will vote for whoever they nominate. You, you two sound like an old married couple. Who's the wife tonight? I oh my god, <laughs> that's never going to happen. Just All so right. you know, it's been in here with you, and Wayne and Mark. All righty, Paul's at eighty-one point seven online. In the meantime, freetalklive.com. Do you like to build things? Have you ever cut wood with a tool? Are you tired of poor quality goods found in the Megalomart? If you answered yes to any of these questions, woodcraftplans.com has a fun project for you to make. We have hundreds of blueprints and patterns which can help all skill levels of craftspeople make wooden lawn furniture, bedroom furniture, yard decor like wishing wells and shadow figures, rocking horses, and a lot more. Visit woodcraftplans.com today. Get a plan and start building. That's woodcraftplans.com. 